0: Hey guys, I would like you to get these words on your lips with me. We looked at them last week. It is from Genesis 12. It is a back alley Bible passage. Do you know what that means? It means that some pastor thug is going to drag you out in a back alley and pummel you unless you can give him like the top five important Bible passages. This is one of them, all right? Get it on your lips with me. The Lord had said to Abram, leave your country, your people, and your father's household and go to the land I will show you. I will make you into a great nation, and I will bless you. I will make your name great, and you will be a blessing. I will bless those who bless you, and whoever curses you, I will curse. And all peoples on earth will be blessed through you. This right here defines the entire rest of the Bible beyond Genesis chapter 12. God is looking to redeem the creation that got royally messed up when humanity fell into sin. And what we have here is the initial germ of how God is going to bring that restoration and deliverance about. Now, turn with me today, if you would, to Genesis chapter 15. Jumping ahead in the storyline, three chapters. Genesis chapter 15. We're still with the story of Abram. You know him as Abraham. And when you get it, follow along with me if you would. 15.1, it says this. After this. All right, stop there. That's enough. Little rule of thumb as you're reading the Bible and if you want to get the most out of it. Anytime the Bible says after this, ask yourself, after what? because what came before is probably important if it's framing what the after this is about just like any time you see a therefore you should say what is that therefore therefore every time you see an after this say after what makes sense So let's talk about after this. God comes and makes this promise to Abram. He is some pagan, polytheistic, idol-worshipping guy deep down in the bowels of Mesopotamia. God comes along. He says, I choose you. I'm going to bless you. I'm going to make you great. You are going to be a blessing. Those who bless you, I'm going to bless. Those who curse you, I'm going to curse. I have got your back. Yeehaw. Let's go for it. Now, Abram decides to start following this God who selects him. And it says that he actually picks up and goes to the land that God had said he was going to give him, where he would be a great nation, and where these blessings would start to flow out. Problem. There's already people living there. There's already people living there, and they're bigger, and they're tougher, and they're stronger. But in the midst of this, God seems to give this supernatural protection over Abram. He seems just to kind of be silent in the details, you know? Heavens aren't ripping open and thunderbolts aren't coming down, but God is orchestrating events and things are happening. And things that should have brought Abram down actually are coming out to show the reverse. And after all of this, coming into the land, God comes to Abram again. And he says these words. Lift up your eyes from where you are and look to the north and the south and the east and the west and all the land that you see, and I will give it to you and your offspring forever. I will make your offspring like the dust of the earth, so that if anyone could count the dust, then your offspring could be counted. And the story goes on. And we see that these initial promises that God gives to Abram to bless him, to give him a land, to make his name great, to give him offspring like, well, more than I certainly want, things start to develop. Now, if you get a chance, I encourage you, read Genesis 13 and 14 sometime, because the storyline is cool. Because even though Abram finds himself in the land, it says there's all these other kings that are there and they rise up. And Abram's caught in the middle of this power play of this land war. And God takes Abram and with 318 people, routes these kings of Assyria and Babylon, these kings of Persia and the kingdoms that would later become the classic enemies of Israel. And God miraculously delivers him. It seems like the promise is coming true. Make sense? And this leads us to 15, where it says, after this. After what? After God made Abram a promise. After God starts to Increase his fame as he overthrows these kings. As God starts to bless him with wealth and prosperity in the land. As God starts to establish him in the land. But here's the question. Of the things considered blessing, offspring, and land,
1: which one is noticeably missing? And if you read the storyline, it's offspring. Abram is getting fame. Abram is
0: getting powerful. Abram is getting delivered. Abram is getting the land, but there is still no offspring. And so God comes to him in a vision, and he says, Do not be afraid, Abram. I am your shield, your very great reward. Now, God's just proven this. He's just defended him, he's just delivered him, he's just taken him with 318 people to overthrow kings that have shoved should have shoved him in the dirt. God is saying nothing more than the reality of what Abram has already experienced under God's hand. But look at what Abram says. Sovereign Lord, I know, but you ever pray like that? What can you give me since I remain childless? And the one who will inherit my estate is Eliezer of Damascus. Do you you know what the last thing that you want to have happen to you when God makes you a promise? That you're going to have offspring that are like the dust of the earth? It's for Eliezer of Damascus to show up and take it all. You know? Anytime you see Eliezer of Damascus in the Bible, you should just boo, okay? Yeah, just just, let me read it. Let's try this. All right? What can you give me since I remain childless? And the one who will inherit my estate is Eliezer of Damascus. Just, yeah, yeah. You could feel his pain, right? So lame, (laughs) And Abram said, you have given me no children, so a servant in my household will be the heir. And then it says the word of the Lord came to him. God says, this man will not be your heir, but a son coming from your own body will be your heir. And he took him outside and said,
1: don't look at the dust this time, look at the stars, if indeed you can count them. And then he said to him,
0: so shall your offspring be. i got a question for you. How many times can someone promise you something
1: without delivering on it before you stop believing them? How many times? Once? Fool me once, shame on you. Fool me twice, shame on me.
0: How many times can God
1: promise you something and you not see it delivered or acted upon before you start losing faith in him? And I think it's that question right there
0: that makes what happens next so absolutely
1: significant. Because this is what it says. Abram believed the Lord, and he credited it to him, his righteousness. Abram believed God. God gave him a promise, and
0: he he chose to believe it. He trusted God despite the fact that the promise still had not been delivered on. He chose to still trust God despite the fact that circumstances seemed, in this case, to not be coming into play. See, I think it shows something. Fundamentally, what God really wants is faith. What God really wants is for us to trust him because there's something when you're willing to trust another that bonds you together, isn't there? That kind of puts you in it together. It's like the glue of relationship, isn't it? This thing called trust. The rabbis would later say that all the commands of God could be boiled down to one. Trusting in God. Faith. Or faithfulness. And so it's no wonder where New Testament writers start developing this idea. Abram believed God. And God says, you know, in my eyes, that makes you right. That makes you righteous. That, that, that counts towards you
1: above all other things as righteousness in my book. And then God does something significant, if you read later in the storyline.
0: He makes a covenant. See, in Genesis 12, God comes along and makes a promise to Abraham. But what happens in Genesis 15 is he ups the ante. And he makes it a covenant. Now, a covenant, again, is just a contract. And in the ancient world, covenants weren't signed. They were cut. Here's how this works. We make a contract today. We do it with paper and ink, right? But in the ancient world, where not that many people wrote and paper was, well, not really even invented yet, promises were sealed in other ways and they were cut. Literally, cut. They would cut a covenant. Look what happens. Abram comes to God. Rather, God comes to Abram. It's right after uh, after God says, I'm the Lord who brought you out of Ur of the Chaldeans, Babylon, to give you this land and take possession of it. And in verse 8, Abram says, Sovereign Lord, how can I know that I'll gain possession of it? So God says in verse 9, let's make a contract. Let's cut a covenant. And look at what he says to do. Bring me a heifer a she-goat, and a ram, each three years old with a dove and a young pigeon. Do you just get the sense at this point this is not going to go well for the animals? And here's how you would make a covenant, a contract in the ancient world. Um, What you would do is you would take this animal and you would slaughter it. You would cut it. Now, um, I'm, I'm really sorry. Give me a hand. Give me a hand. You stand. Well, all right, literalist. <laughs> if you could stand up now, let's say that um, Matt here is an animal. All right, is he an animal? All right, all right. Now c- come up here. I need you. You're so glad you came to church today, aren't you? Yeah. Now, if I was to cut this guy in half, what would be the easiest way to go about doing it? I, I would like saw. Right. You know, get the bone saw and, and go to work. Right. Except in the ancient world, what you would do is we would cut him this way, because that's so much more pleasant, right? And then we would take one half of this animal called Matt, and we'd lay him over here. And we'd take the other half of this animal called Matt, and then we'd lay him over here. So right now what we have is we have Matt cut in half symmetrically, laying there with all his blood pouring down into a sluice, into a gate, into just a... Stream. But it's not just Matt. It's also a she goat. Vicki, are you she? No, I won't do that to (laughs) you. I'm sorry. All right, thanks, man. So, does that make sense? And what you would do is you would lay it here and you would lay it there. And see, what you would do is you would cut this animal and there would be lots and lots of blood. It wouldn't be your blood, it would be an animal's blood. Well, because lots of people had animals and they were a commodity. It was the basic form of currency in trade. You know, I'll, I'll, I'll see your ram with my three goats and a dove. You get how this works? It had value, and what you would do is you would cut the animal and then maybe share a meal or, or, or some time of community over the meat that, that, that would be provided. But it was something more than that, and this is the significance. Now, let me show you out of the Levitical law something that God says that's absolutely profound. He writes, and just randomly For the life of a creature is in the blood. Do you know what happens if you don't have blood? You die. The life of the creature is in the blood. And I have given it to you to make atonement for yourselves on the altar later from Abram. It is the blood that makes atonement for one's life. So don't miss the imagery. God comes to Abram and he says, let's make a contract. Go out and find a a three-year-old heifer, a three-year-old she-goat, a three-year-old ram, and a couple of birds. And notice in the storyline, Abram knows exactly what to do with them. God doesn't have to tell Abram what to do. He just simply Brings all these to him, verse 10, cuts them in two, arranges the halves opposite each other. The birds, however, he did not cut in half. All right? Abram knows what to do. Just like you would know what to do if I said, here's a pen, here's a piece of paper, sign. Right? And here's the imagery. See, it's more than just giving up your commodity in this contract. It's more than just giving up of something of value. It's more than sharing the meal. It's something significant to what's happening. And the significance is in the blood. Because what you would do is you would take these halves and you would lay one half here, and you would lay one half here, and think about all the blood that's coming out of animals this big. And then you know what you would do? You would walk through the middle of the blood, because that's sanitary. And the person making the contract with you would do exactly the same. And here's the image, and don't miss this. What you were in essence saying metaphorically is this, if I break faith, if I break faith, if I break this
1: contract, let what happened to these animals happened to me.
0: Now, if I bow out of my cell phone contract four months early, I have to pay.
1: This is a bit steeper. And so Abraham cuts the animals. And it goes on.
0: And it says, Then birds of prey came down on the carcasses, in verse 11. But Abram drove them away. I mean, seriously, have you ever tried to do something for God and like the vultures come and pick at it? You know, those of you in church work know exactly what I'm talking about. Can I just suggest to you two tactics based on maybe the example of Abraham here if this should happen to you? One is this. Just look at him and say, get behind me, Satan. Okay? Number two is this. Just simply tell them, I'm going to beat you with a crowbar until you go away. All right? And Abram drives these vultures away. And it says, As the sun was setting, Abram fell into a deep sleep, and a thick and dreadful darkness came over him. Have you ever had a sense of darkness that was palpable, that you could touch, and it was so overwhelming and so enveloping, it was like it was suffocating you? Is there any wonder that Abram is feeling this way? Because God comes to him after Abram
1: calls him to the mat. How can I be sure? God says, Fine, let's make a covenant. And God starts telling him all the things that Abram knows
0: what a covenant means get an animal, get a few
1: because this is going to be a big one. And he starts to cut it. And I wonder, as Abram is preparing that trail, that he's going
0: to be expected to walk, because he's called a god to the mat.
1: And the god has responded. What must have been going on inside of him? Because have you noticed something? Something? God has not yet laid out the stipulations of the
0: covenant. God has not said what this contract is going to mean, particularly for Abram. And I wonder, what's going through Abram's mind is he's looking at this blood gate and going in his mind, what did I get myself into? You ever have that moment where you challenge God and God shows up and it's like, I should have kept my mouth shut? I wonder what's going on in Abram's mind. Is he sitting there going, I have to walk the bloodline. I mean, God is there.
1: I, I can't bail on this, you know? And that if I break faith, I'm telling a God, "Made this happen to me. Is there any wonder a thick and dreadful darkness fell upon this man? I mean, No kidding. Look what happens. And it's absolutely profound. God appears and he says,
0: know for certain that for 400 years your descendants will be stranger in a country not their own. That's a long time. And they will be enslaved and mistreated there. But I will punish the nation they serve as slaves and afterward they will come out with great possessions. You, however, will go... To your ancestors in peace. You ever have them whoo, and be buried at a good old age. In the fourth generation, your descendants will come back here, for the sin of the Amorites has not yet reached its full measure. And when it says, when the sun had set and darkness had fallen fallen, a smoking firepot with a blazing torch appeared. Now I just gotta tell you, when you're hanging out sometime and a smoking firepot with a blazing torch just randomly appears. You kind of know strange things
1: are afoot. God shows up. And look at what he does. He passes between the pieces. Who passes between the pieces? God. A smoking fire pot with a blazing
0: torch appeared and passed. Passed. Between the pieces.
1: What is God saying? Abram, if I break faith, may this happen to me. It is the
0: unbelievable story of a God who lowers himself to humanity. An unbelievable story of a God who is willing to say to people, if faith is
1: broken, may this happen to me. And on that day, Yahweh made a covenant with Abram. A promise, a contract, sealed in blood. Couple observations of Genesis 15. One is this it's a story of a God who lowers himself. See, throughout the ancient world, and I would argue even throughout
0: today, for most people, God is someone who has to be reached. You've got to climb to get to Him up there. But see, the story of Yahweh in the Bible is very different. It is not about a God who says, climb to me up here. It is a God who says, I will come to you down there. And more than that, a God who says, I will get in the dirt and I will do things like you. I will meet you at your level. I will become like you. I will swear myself to you. I will pledge myself to you.
1: I will lower myself to your level. What kind of God does that? Yahweh. That's who. Not only that, a God who says, I will spill my blood. I will be slaughtered. I will shed it and be broken and be mutilated
0: if faith is broken. I see a God in Genesis 15 who makes a covenant with Abram, but walks in the blood instead of Abram himself. A God who says, the blood is here and you should walk the path, but you know what? I will do it for you. Do you hear cross imagery screaming at you right now? Because this is the kind of God he is. A second observation. Do you notice that the covenant follows belief? Right? Genesis 15, 6. Abram believed God, and it was credited to him as righteousness. But then it is later in the story that God says, let's make a covenant. Now, see, a covenant is really just a sign, isn't it? It's kind of like a proof. It's a sign that
1: something is going to be backed up. Have you ever asked God for a sign? you ever gone looking for
0: them? Have you ever kind of struggled at some deep kind of place going, Lord, if this just, then maybe I could believe? See, it's fascinating to me how God flips this on its head. Because for God, signs follow faith. What we see in Genesis 15 is not God making a covenant so that Abram will believe. We see God making a covenant because Abram believes. And for God, signs follow faith.
1: Are you looking for a sign? Trust God. Do that first. And then see what he starts to show you. A third is this. Man alive, God can just be slow sometimes, can he? I mean,
0: Abram, I'm going to make you a great nation. Abram, you're going to have offspring that's, well, a lot. Abram, see this land look north and south and east and west. It's all going to be given to you. But when? Abram, as far as we know, has two kids later in the storyline. And he has to wait until he's like 90 years old. Right? Right? before they start coming around. He says, for 400 years, your offspring are going to be dominated in a foreign land. They're going to be oppressed and mistreated, despite the fact that I've promised you
1: all this land will be yours. See, I've seen God kind of has his own timing.
0: And someone like me, who's got the lifespan of like a fruit fly compared to the divine... You can easily look up in God and go, why are you taking so long? But what I see from the story is that God has
1: a time. And his promises will be in his time. And what this is a story about is God saying, trust me in that. Trust me in that. Trust me and my promise because I've made a covenant with you. Wait on me and see what I start to show you. Genesis 15, a God who makes covenants in his blood for me, for you. Hey, guys, let's, uh, let's get on our feet.
0: I'm going to invite the band to come back forward, and I want to invite
1: you to just take a moment and maybe um, pray with me through this. Maybe you are losing faith. you struggling or doubting. Maybe you're waiting for a sign. Maybe
0: you're wondering about a God and aren't quite coming to terms yet with the fact of
1: what he'll do for you. Wherever you're at on the spectrum today, come to him like Abraham did. Dare to believe him this morning. God, here we are. Um, Pagans. Sinners. Sinners.
0: people with our heart captured by all kinds of gods in this world and uh, you chose us you made us a promise that you want to bless us and that blessing will come about through a sacrifice that you made through a blood gate that you walked. And so, God, we come before you as one who was slaughtered on a cross, whose body was broken and mutilated and blood was spilled for our unfaithfulness and our lack of faith. And, God, we ask for help to believe you, to trust you, to put our faith in you and to take you at your word, and if it's slow in coming, that we're patient, and that if the signs seem absent, God, that that our faith is solid in you anyway. Thank you. Thank you for what you did that day so long ago for the price that you've paid.